welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast and our continuation of the Expert Roundtable series. This is part number three of the five-part series, and today we're talking about the keys to consistency. So we have those same guests, and we're asking them the question of, if they boil it down, how have they developed consistency over the years? Do they feel that their strength uh, is based on their pre-hunt planning and research? Is it because of specific techniques and tactics that they employ in the field? Is it because of their instincts that they have fine-tuned with experience over the years? Or is it something else altogether? So we wanted to know, for guys who continually fill their hunting tags, what do they attribute most of that consistent success to? That's the question for today. Once again, our guests in order are Jeff Bloomquist, Darren Cooper, Billy Moles, Charlie Perry, and Steve Speck. I hope you guys are enjoying this series. Tune back in for tomorrow in part four when we discuss the mistakes that made these hunters better. But right now, let's talk about those keys to consistency. So I say a couple things. One would be like online map scouting. And the reason I'm going to say that is because a lot of times I'm hunting out of state, right? So like these places that I'm going, either I've never been there before, there's no, it's too far for me to go scout. Um, and I feel like a lot of time can be wasted at the beginning of the hunt trying to learn the country. And if I only have a week's worth of time, I want to know that area, like the back of my hand before I get there, right? As much as possible. So um, I use a lot of Google Earth. I use Onyx Maps. And like um, my wife can attest to this, the amount of time that I spend looking at maps, uh, yeah, is ridiculous. So like I'm always trying to think about where would the animal be? Where are the hunters going to be? Where um, is a pocket that they could get pushed to if there is a lot of pressure? Um, and then other part too, like I said, knowing the land when I get there. So when I'm pulling into a place I've never been before, like I can look at each mountain and like know the name of it, know the creek in the bottom. Like I've mentally accounted for all of the area before I've got there, if that makes sense. So I feel like it really is huge to know where you're going. Now, if it's a place that you hunt all the time, it's, it's different because you already know it. But for me, a lot of times I'm going to a new place and it's too far away to scout. So the first part would be like online map scouting. Um, the second part would be the mindset, right? And we kind of talked about this before, but I think consistency in, to hunting success is 90% mental. So people go into the hunt saying, oh, I hope I get something or, you know, like I know in, that I'm knowing that I'm going to get something. And it's not that I'm cocky, it's that it, I'm confident. Um, and I'm confident because I know I will do whatever it takes to make it happen. Um, there's, a, there's that saying, right? Like, if you think you can, you're right. And if you think you can't, you're right, right? So um, if I think I can, I know going in that I will make this happen and I will do whatever it takes to make it happen. How did you build that confidence? Right. Because just put your mindset of it. You're in a new hunter's mind and he doesn't have that confidence going in. Um, is it just experiences? I think it is. I think it's just like, you know, I think I talked about this earlier, but it's like 
I've messed up way more times than I've been successful, right? Um, and so knowing that things are going to happen, um, it's not all going to go right. You're not going to have the first opportunity to go right. And you might have 10 opportunities before one finally does go right. But you have to keep failing, right, to make it be successful. And so that confidence comes from I have had so many experiences that I, that I know I'm going to get it done. And it also comes back to wanting it bad enough too, right? Like knowing that I, I will do whatever it takes. So um, if I'm a new hunter, just starting out, like a couple of things that I would say would be like, try to find some people that you know that are good hunters, right? Not people that go hunting, but people actually that, that kill something and get around them, ask them questions, see if you can go with them because you'll, you'll learn more probably on that one hunt than you would watching any YouTube video, right? Um, so like, I'm a firm believer, like you're the average of the five people you hang around. So like, if you want to be better at hunting, then get around those five people that are good at hunting and learn from them to help build that confidence and that, um, you know, that set of skills so that you can be confident when you go. Going back um, earlier, you mentioned time that gets wasted. And that, again, this is especially applicable for guys who are newer, guys to just hunt new areas. What are those ways that you feel guys just waste time? Because I think this gets overlooked and you touched on it, but if you have a week to hunt, you need to maximize like every moment towards hunting, not like learning the country, finding animals, thinking about what if, I mean, that ideally all happens ahead of time. So I think you really touched on this, but I just want to come back and make sure we hit it of essentially how to pre-scout, pre-plan a hunt into a new area so that you're not wasting time. So what are the biggest time wasters? So I think the first one is, is, um, figuring out where you want to go already. Right. So like, I'm going to have plan a plan B plan C and what can happen, right. When you go to someplace new is you go to plan A and you're like, okay, this is my go-to spot. And you get there and like, there's nothing, right. There's no animals or there's lots of people. And you're like, oh my gosh. And it can totally derail a hunt so then you go to to the plan b right and that that might backfire and then you go to plan c and that back bike might backfire you just have to keep keep going and even though you're you feel like you're wasting time you're actually being productive because you're crossing off places that the animals aren't right Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, I know they're not here now. I know they're not here now. I know they're not here now. One, soon these, one of these times I'm going to finally hit the spot that they actually are. Can you elaborate on that specifically for say archery elk, right? So how much time do you give an area before you're crossing off the list and moving on? And what are you like, what goes into those decisions? Um, is it actively hearing bugles, seeing game, seeing fresh sign, like for you, how much time would you give an area before you move on or what keeps you in an area? If I'm seeing enough of what? So if you go in there right, and you're archery elk hunting, you see you hike a couple miles in, you don't hear a bugle. You hardly see any tracks. Um, there's no rubs. There's no sign. I'm out of there in a day, right? Like I'm not going to waste my time there. Um, you go into another area, you see a lot of tracks. You see some, you see a lot of sign, but you don't hear a bugle. I would go back in there again the next day because they might have been there, but they were just being silent, right? Um, 
or obviously you walk into a rut fest and you know, you know where they are, but <laughs> not leaving. Uh, yeah, I'm not leaving, but like, I feel like just cause you don't hear a bugle doesn't mean that they're not there. It's more of reading the sign on the ground. Um, what is that telling you? You know, if you see a, a bunch of old sign where they've been there two months ago, but they're not there now, um, you have to read how fresh it is. And that really, it's kind of hard sometimes too, if you're hunting, like I know it can be dry, right? So you can see tracks and you're like, well, are these from yesterday or are they from two weeks ago? Um, and that just takes some time to figure that out, I think. But if there's, if I am not see much sign, I'm going to move, right? Like, especially if I know if I'm in a unit where there's, there's quite a few elk, like they got to be somewhere. You just have to find that pocket and cover as much ground until you can find them. Yeah. So it sounds like you do a great deal of pre-planning, but you hold that plan incredibly loose when you get boots on the ground in terms sure. of move into plan B. You have to let the sign and the animals dictate it, not your preconceived notions of where you think they should be. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Well, um, I'm probably not the most consistent killer to be honest, I mean, I, um, I certainly can get it done, um, consistently when, if, if that's the goal, but I've kind of shifted to probably half of my hunts are, are more trophy hunting minded to where I'm either going to take something really big or I'm going to take my tag home and call it good. Um, but on the hunts that are just fun hunts that don't have, trophy quality necessarily but are just fun hunts with you know pretty decent bucks and and i can just relax and go go chase deer there's definitely um several things i guess that that stack into to uh being consistently able to take those deer and you know number one key to success is is having the time to actually hunt for an extended period of time um for me, I think my, you know, my personal feeling is that if I have 10 or 11 days or even nine, nine days in that range, then my odds are, you know, probably over 80% that I'm going to be able to, you know, I'm going to have at least one really good opportunity, if not multiple, you know, opportunities over that length of time. You just learn more about the animals that you're hunting and, and where your opportunities are going to gonna come and so um i just feel like time is the number one thing for it really for any bow hunter you know maybe i, I guess whitetail hunters might be the exception because they can stink up a stand or two or whatever but if you have enough stands to to go and you just have more days in the field you're you're going to be more more successful eventually so um and number two you know super critical thing is just um kind of going back to where we were before is being able to make a a really good shot and get it done when, when that time comes. But, um, you know, scouting and uh, pre-hunt planning is, is probably one of my strengths that I've had for a long time. You know, I had a, a freaking filing cabinet full of topographical maps, you know, before Google earth and all that stuff. And I really learned to kind of see stuff in 3d and be able to pick out, you know, good elk country and and what good deer habitat was you know should look like on there and then i 
And I figured out how to do some research on GIS sites. And I, I could find these ortho photo quads that were like the early days of black and white Google Earth. But they were just files that you could download that would match up with your, your uh, quad maps. So that was kind of a big step for me. I felt like a big deal when I found those. I'm like, oh, yeah, I really got this now. <laughs> and five years later, Google Earth comes out and totally blows my mind. It's like, well, that was the best thing ever. But then everybody else had access to it, to it also. Yeah. So, but I really like to to dive into you know like Google Earth and really pick out you know glassing points and you know the basins and stuff that that I'm going to hunt and then um, and then follow that up with some on the on the ground scouting before season because I think if you can hit the ground running on opening day and put yourself in um, much, you know, higher percentage situations where, you know, there's game, um, hopefully the quality or, you know, target animal that you're after. If you can be in, in proximity to that animal from day one of your hunt, and then, and then you have, you know, however many days, be it, you know, three, five, seven, nine, whatever. If you have all those days to, to then, you know, try to get it right. Um, and you're not spending half your time, you know, looking for, you know, the first group of elk, then, uh, obviously you're going to be, you know, a lot more successful if, you know, the more, more time you spend within proximity of your target animal. So that, you know, scouting and pre-planning stuff is, is, um, you know, a huge part of, of being consistently successful. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I, my history is not nearly as long as yours, but even for me, things like going from a handheld Garmin with a tiny, terrible, you know, little call it a map, even to what's happened with Onyx and all that's crazy, much less thinking that history yeah. you just shared of piecing together paper and then going like figuring out how to download the early, early satellite stuff, which was back not- in my day, we used a compass yeah. and we liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was totally different being, you know, just hell, sometimes just being able to find where you were going out in the middle of the Nevada desert was a challenge, you know, didn't have GPS guidance to get there. So it was, you know, a freaking Atlas and, you know, some topo maps when you got close enough, you had some more detailed maps, but you were, you know, running off the Nevada Atlas or whatever through the desert that, you know, who knows what time of night, you know, after blowing out of work at, 5 p.m. and driving through the desert all night so um yeah it was just you know a little bit different but that's you know map reading skills are still um you know important but you definitely have so much better tools now to do it and and i certainly use them and you know love onyx and you know base maps another you know great tool um google earth is awesome you know being able to transfer data points back and forth you know um, from, from those apps is, is, uh, you know, it's cool. Do you find yourself ever, uh, like, say you're going to hunt a new area. Um, you do your pre-scouting, your e-scouting, you're looking at Google earth and other imagery and maps, and then you go on the hunt and you actually see the country. Do you ever find yourself then going back to kind of the maps and the e-scouting piece after a hunt to almost like debrief it or kind of help you piece it together more? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you're going to see when you're on the ground too, that, that you don't see from, you know, 
Google Earth, outer space or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely go back and, um, you know, and with the mapping tools now, like base map and whatnot, or, um, on X, you can, you know, make additional notes out there in the field. And then I'll generally try to upload those back to Google earth to just, that's kind of where I still keep my master file is in Google earth, but I definitely try to, um, transfer knowledge both directions there you know drop some waypoints of stuff that i want to check out and then you know definitely um, put those additional waypoints in there with notes and, and whatnot and um you know you can take photos on some of the apps now and stuff which is which is kind of cool um you know especially um you know water holes and wallows and different stuff like that 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 you may happen upon and it's kind of nice to have a photographic reference that goes along with that waypoint to kind of tie it all back together and keep your, uh, keep your memory honest, I guess I would say. Yeah, definitely on the front end, I would say always erred on the side of aggression as you're starting, as you're learning. Um, yeah. And think out of the box. I'd say that's, that's probably the thing that's, helped me the most um can you give some examples there of thinking outside the box things you've done yeah like uh moose uh moose hunting um um like I, i've done three moose drives in my life like you'll get i guess I'm trying to think of all three of them here yeah and in each scenario a uh, bull was with a cow and they're in or cows and they're in brush and you can't get them out like one time we saw these this bull, we snuck in on him and we could see his antlers and, and I knew how big he was, um, but we just weren't for sure it was him. We were like 20 yards away. He was in brush with cows and we were calling and then the cows left and then the bull followed. We were sitting on this bull for like four days and they sat in this one little 10 acre patch of trees. And they one day we watched them, the bull and four cows, they crossed the river and they went into another thicket. The wind was right. And I just went like, man, we gotta, we gotta do something, you know, this just ain't working. So <clears throat> I had him set, I set the hunter up where, um, where the cows crossed the river before I went around to drive them out. So I brought my canoe paddle with kind of that I use for raking brush and calling moose kind of without really thinking about it. And so I go hiking around the tundra and I come back around and I go into the brush and I go into the brush and and all of a sudden, you know, the brush explodes and the moose take off running and, I'm, and I could just see flashes of cows, but I never saw the bull. And I'm like, man, I never heard his antlers hitting the brush. I, that's that's weird, you know. Uh, so maybe maybe he's still in there. So I go and he kind of went the, the wrong direction, not towards my hunter. And so I kind of went in a little deeper and kind of changed my approach a little bit. And all of a sudden the, something jumps up and I can hear antlers. Well, this bull, we wanted him to go south and he went east and he goes out into the open tundra and he's running out and i'm like oh man you know it, it didn't work at all totally backfired well i had this canoe paddle in my hand and so i i just started grunting and cow calling and waving this canoe paddle in the air and and you know to mimic a bull just kind of waving it back and forth moose when they come out they're real social they always kind of just bob their antlers side to side to kind of show anybody who's looking how big he is and so then i was able doing that i was able to kind of circle around him kind of get in front of him and head him off 
and then push him right towards my hunter. My hunter shot him at like 40 yards. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, I'd, I'd say thinking out of the box again, getting away from, I don't know, you maybe mentioned the word stereotypes, I, I feel, but you know, just those, um, uh, book read things, those classic scenarios that, that you kind of read about and, um, yeah, trust, yeah. trust your instinct again. Do you feel that that's a challenge like for yourself having decades of experience and so many hunts and so much time in the field is to almost think outside of your own box, right? Like, I don't want to say like stuck in your ways, but obviously you've been doing this for such a long time and have so much time in the field. Do you feel that sometimes you even catch yourself like kind of playing the script of here's what has worked in the past? Yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's kind of a double-edged sword at times. And maybe this spring would have maybe been the best, uh, example. We saw a, a really big boar. We saw one big boar. Um, he was following a sow. We saw a sow come around, came into sight for a little bit. She was about a mile and a half away and she went around this horn along the beach and, uh, she went out of sight. She was actually pretty smart. She came down off the hill and then she went out into the salt water. I think to get rid of her scent and then went around and out of sight. About an hour later, we saw this big boar do the same thing. And it was like day four, day five. And, you know, he's chasing us out. It was, it was late in the day, probably really didn't have, uh, um, you know, probably really didn't have a good chance of getting on him. But when I think back at the hunt after it's all done, I'm like, you know, that's one thing I need to be, be aware of that had that been a little earlier in the day, I think, ordinarily I probably wouldn't have considered it, you know, because bear hunting, I've gotten into that mode because it's worked for me over and over and over and over again is be patient, just sit in one spot. Don't spread your scent. Um, but in that case, you know, perhaps had, again, had we seen the bear earlier in the day, probably could have went around. I don't remember which way the wind was going, but we could have went around the beach, you know, and, and limited our scent, got around the horn and, you know, maybe, tried to see where that bear was at um so yeah yeah i would say there's you're you're always learning and i guess that's the beauty of it you're absolutely right you can never be married to to anything any any um uh tactic definitely or any group of tactics you're always learning and i always figure if if you if you're doing something that you have mastered or can master it's probably not worth doing because at the point when you master it, what's left? Where do you go from there? I would say, you know, um, definitely all the above. Um, but as far as different situations, like maybe you drew a tag out of state, um, I would say my go-to consistency on that would definitely be, you know, planning and my research um, on X get on go hunt things like that learn the area and then all the experience that you know you may have from other hunts would just kind of just fall into that category um so anything out of state definitely the pre-hunt the planning and the research um kind of figure out what animal you're going after you know um and then um as far as like in state I would definitely say just the mentality of, uh, um, just being aggressive, um, and then being patient at the right time. You know, you get in close, you've, you've been aggressive, you got in close, 
and then now it's time to be patient um, and wait for that that opportunity and just capitalize on it. Um, and then also just just having that mentality, like just like that death hike mentality of um, just hunt hard. Um, you know, you may blow an opportunity, but you know, just keep hiking, get over that next ridge, and try to create that other opportunity. That's there's been several times where I might have blown two or three bulls out in one day um, and get up the next morning and your head's kind of hanging low a little bit. Just just keep grinding and something you'll create an opportunity and just keep grinding. And that's kind of been my consistency and success is just hunt hard and just have that strong mentality. Um, you'll you, you'll find something out there. Do you feel like you've kind of always had that positive mindset or just over the years you've proven to yourself like, yeah, I may have blown that bull, but there's another one out there, you know, based on experience and you know that the hunt's never over till it's over and you can create new opportunities. Like, is that, is that part of your personality, essentially the positivity, or is that something that you've proven to yourself in hunting? I think it's, um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but just knowing that you've, notched a tag before and uh just take everything you learn from there and just and just go for it um i do try to stay positive on the hill definitely um but just grinding it out day in day in day out ridge over ridge bugle after bugle um you're definitely going to get it done um just do whatever it takes, you know, to get into bow range. You know, I've been with guys that, you know, you look across a canyon, it might be a mile away and there's a bull over there. And, um, several times, ah, let's, let's not go after him, you know? And if I'm by myself, like I'll, I'm going, you know, I'll, I'll figure out how to get that bull out later. <laughs> Steve, I can see how you and Charlie get along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know Charlie's killed some solo bulls in places that like I've been in that country and it's not easy. Uh, not afraid to get after it. So Charlie, this is like a, a diversion topic from the original question. Uh, and we've actually this summer have put out an episode about hunting elk solo um, and kind of all that, but being a solo hunter and those things coming up and maybe finding yourself in tough situations. What are some of the things that you've learned as a solo hunter that have helped you with elk and that maybe that's like calling setup and strategy, or maybe that's how you approach then taking care of a bull once you shot them and packing them out. What comes to mind in terms of uh, lessons you've learned as a solo hunter? Basically I've been out there just kind of knowing what to do in the situation from all the experience that I've had out there, whether it be with buddies, with my dad, um, when I get out there on my own, I, I, there's no, Hey, what do you, what do you think we should do on this? Or what do you think we should do on that? And, um, you kind of get the answer. Well, I don't care. What do you, what do you want to do? And, um, you just kind of, I just kind of get focused on my own, uh, in my own setting basically. And just, just go for it. And then everything, every, everything just kind of takes over and, um, so I wouldn't say that I have 
any, I don't have any really method to my madness. It's just getting out there and just creating that opportunity. It's basically uh, been the best for me. How do you get by, um, right? The ideal elk calling setup is shooter position in front of a caller by 50 yards. What's something that you kind of do to, to cheat that, right? That's the, probably the biggest struggle I think as a solo elk hunter is if you're trying to call them in, um, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, if you, sometimes you can hear in a bull's, uh, bugle that, um, he's coming. And if he's coming, then you basically just need to, you need to get set up in a good spot and get some shooting lanes and, uh, and just kind of vision when you want to draw. And, uh, that's, that's big. Now, if you got a bull that's hanging up a lot of the times, um, I know there's a lot of strategies out there, but I basically just move in, um, pretty aggressively. Um, I'm always, I go, always got my eyes. I'm never, I don't hardly have my head down at all. I may step, step on that twig, that twig or, um, stick on accident, but most of the time I got my heads up and just scanning and uh, I'll, I'll be moving in pretty quick. Um, if I feel like that bull hasn't answered for a while, um, then I'll stop and kind of be patient, make sure he's not coming. Um, maybe give a little call, see where he's at. Um, and just basically base, base where you're at versus you want him to bugle again. So you kind of know where he's at. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of what I do. You know, I might, I might blow that call, you know, backwards a little bit and then move in. That's definitely, um, helped quite a bit, you know, bugle and then drop down, drop down on them really quick within 50 yards. Um, just keep them talking. That's, I like to keep them talking and then you can kind of, then you know where he's at. It's like that cat and mouse game. Right. Yeah. You've always said, uh, like you can, like you can hear in a, an elk's bugle, like what he's doing. And to me, I just hear the same sound. Like, is there <laughs> any indicator? Like, is there anything you could describe that like you hear out in that voice that, yeah, I'm coming. Um, or is it just kind of something instinctual you have? I'll try to describe it the best I can. Um, it's kind of something that instinctually that I have, but so one day I was, uh, basically just dogging this herd bull forever and just, I couldn't keep up with them. And I was trying to bugle every time at him so I can keep him, I can keep his location on him and just dogging them hard. And, uh, he got to the point where he got up into a little basin where, that was kind of his home and that's where he was basically going to protect. Um, he was going to protect and there was this huge rock outcropping, um, like the size of a house. And, uh, I let out a bugle trying to figure out where he was because he hadn't said anything for a while. And when I bugle, he let this bugle out. Um, and it was so aggressive and come to this day, it's, it's, it was the challenge bugle um I, I never knew what it was and uh he he let out this bugle basically saying hey i'm gonna come i'm i'm coming right now and i didn't i didn't know that so i go to the left around this big rock outcropping and he was coming straight he was coming around the right side 
And if I'd have just known what that bugle was, I would have killed this bull and he was probably 340, 350. Um, and not knowing what that was, I go to the left and he comes around and we just switch spots. And then, you know, he caught my win after that and he was gone. Um, so it's just a really aggressive bugle. And then um, kind of going back to the second and third, the second week, maybe the end of the first week, the second week of um, September, if you can kind of keep that bull talking, he'll let you know what he's doing. Like if he, if you bugle and he answers right away, and you give another bugle out or even a cow call and he gives just a little bit more of a um, bugle, a little, just a little bit more aggressive bugle. Most of the time he's probably going to be, he's, he's coming your way. Um, so that's kind of what I go off of a little bit. I don't know if that helps or not. But. Yeah, no, it does. So that for me, it's some, sometimes I'm like, oh, that bull's going the other way. And then I start to, I'm like, all right, I got to get aggressive. And I start running and all of a sudden he's like right there coming up at me. I'm like, what, how did I miss that? Um, oh, it's yeah. just something that, yeah, you know, something I, I just don't know. I must be tone deaf. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could have been facing the other way sometimes. And that's, it's hard to tell definitely a lot of time. So Steve, for you, what does consistency look like? I mean, I can think of recently, I can think of years past, like you had that streak of going in and killing a buck on opening day for multiple years. Uh, there's different ways. I feel like in the time that I've known you, you've shown consistency. And so maybe that's taken on different forms, but to begin to boil it down for you, how have you developed consistency? Yeah, I think to be consistent, you have to check all the boxes, right? Like you've, you're not just going to be consistent in your first one to five years of, of hunting. Like this takes time. It takes learning. It takes experiences out in the field to develop and kind of hone your skills. Um, you've got to understand elk behavior and you've got to have a good idea on e-scouting. Um, like a good example that I would, I was never really good at reading, um, Google earth. My buddy, Jason, that I hunt with, like, he was phenomenal at like studying Google earth and going, all right, I think a buck is going to live there. And we'd go scout it. And sure enough, there'd be a buck there where I would like, I'd look at the maps and be, oh, this looks epic. There's going to be deer all over the place. And you get there and there's like nothing. Um, so I started on that side of it. I started after I go scouting or go on a hunt and wherever I got into animals, I'd get back home and put that on Google earth. And then over time, you could start to see patterns of like, what is consistent. Um, so that's a, that's a short little example of, you know, that takes four or five years of experience, but it takes being consistent and applying those, you know, pin tacks, pin marks on Google earth that once I got home to kind of start figuring that out, you've got to be consistent at shooting, right? Like you've got to practice and you got to be proficient with your weapon. Um, you've got to be consistent in your physical fitness. You can't, I mean, there's guys who, uh, are very consistent who probably aren't in the best shape, but I think that's rare, right? Like there, um, you gotta be, um, consistent just in, in your hunting and getting out there in the field. If you just hunt one weekend every year, uh, that's going to take, you know, you're really going to slow down that learning curve and it's going to take a lot longer to be somebody who is that, um, you know, guy that's killing an elk every single year that he goes out. So to me, those are, you know, kind of all, you got to have the whole package, right? Um, I think a really good starting point 
is to identify your strengths and your weaknesses. Uh, look at yourself, analyze yourself critically after a hunt. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? You know, whether that's, um, you know, you got into elk, but you choked on the shot. So like, okay, I need to work on my shooting skills. And one thing for me on the, on the shooting side was I've, I used to really worry about like, you know, going to the archery range and shooting an orange dot and shooting really tight groups. And to me, that was the definition of being an accurate archer. Right. But that didn't translate into me killing animals out in the field. Like I'm, I can don't shoot near as well as I did 10 years ago. Cause I don't shoot five days a week. Um, but I'm also way more proficient at when I do get that opportunity, the animal goes down. I'm not missing my shots, not shooting over the back or underneath or whatever. And I kind of did that through, I transitioned to just shooting a 3d target year round. Uh, the only time I'll shoot an orange dot is just when I'm sighting in a pins and that's it. And I really like to do that one arrow practice of, I got one shot here from this angle, this distance, make it happen. And then I'll, I'll move, right. I'll, I like to get up in the Hills and, you know, when I'm camping with my family or something like that, I'll take an hour and go shoot and, and shoot from different angles, uh, get up and kind of try to, you know, simulate real world experiences. Same can be applied to shooting a gun, right? Like if, if your definition of going and practicing your gun is going down to the range, shooting off a concrete bench, uh, completely flat ground, you are not doing yourself any favors. Like sight your rifle in and never go back to that range again, get up into the Hills. Uh, you and I just did this a few weeks ago when you were in town, you know, took a steel target up to the mountains. We basically shot like two shots from each distance and we kept moving around different angles of the wind, uh, different angles shooting up downhill, like that type of practice is going to exponentially help you in the field versus going to the range and laying prone, shooting on a bench and doing nothing else. Um, and then, uh, so that's kind of on the shooting side. Um, the, another area of example is, um, or things you need to be consistent to me are positive attitude. Like that, the saying confidence kills is 1000% true how you develop confidence, I think goes back to identifying your strengths and weaknesses. Are you, you know, you're physically fit, you got your gear dialed in, you got your weapon dialed in, you feel confident in your research of the area that you're going to, whether it's a completely new area, but you've got, you know, good intel on it, or it's an area you hunted a million times than, than you know, and you're familiar with. So you got to find ways to build confidence going into a hunt. And I think that that kind of goes back to, um, the earlier, that first question of being, um, like the, the three modes I have of relaxed, uh, focused and like imminent shot, where if I'm confident, I'm way, way more likely to stay focused in, in during the duration of a hunt. If I'm not confident, if you get in your head that there's no animals there, that you're not going to kill something all of a sudden, you know, you put your head down, you start walking back to your truck and bam, there's a freaking elk standing there at 40 yards looking at you. And I can't tell you how many times that happened to me kind of early on in my hunting of, of giving up on a hunt. Um, so that confidence to me just really feeds everything else. Um, you need to be mentally tough, uh, and, and be willing to work hard. And we've talked about mental toughness and and things like that. Lots of times on the podcast, it's the main reason for the death hike that we do every year is to develop that. You know, when, whenever we have guests on that, we're talking about mental toughness, it's how do you achieve that? And, and really everyone 
the general consensus is you got to go experience it. You got to put yourself in tough situations, uh, put yourself in situations that are tougher than you'll face when you're out there in the field. So when you are out there in the field and things get a little bit hard, you're kind of like, eh, I've been here before, whatever, this is going to suck for the next two hours, 10 hours, 24 hours, whatever it is, you know, uh, like a random example for me is like first trips up to Alaska where you were literally stuck inside your tent for 24 to 36 hours. Like that isn't fun, <laughs> but you, you gotta stay positive. You gotta be mentally tough. So when the weather does break, you're ready to get out there and get back to hunting and get it done. Um, so positive attitude slash confidence, mental toughness slash willing to work hard. And the last one to me, that's really critical is being very patient out there. You get, you got to understand when to be patient and aggressive, but if you can always err on, you know, really this applies to like, to me, to glassing and to moving through country, you know, you just kind of move I visualize that as like moving smoothly through the country. You're, you're never in a rush. You're kind of taking your time. Uh, and you're just keeping your aware, you're looking for rubs, you're looking for tracks, your eyes are up looking for animals and movement. And um, you got to just be kind of patient. And then that aggressiveness side takes over through experience. Once you get into animals, you get to that imminent shot um, with an elk coming in I, through experience, you know, I'm full draw. I've, I know I can be really aggressive on moving right like he stops i don't quite have that shooting lane but i know if i take two steps to my left it's going to present itself so i i kind of visualize it prepare for it and then make it happen where i've been with guys hunting um that they just they don't think they can move they get frozen and the elk stops behind this tree and then when it does finally move they don't get a they don't get that window of opportunity to make a shot and then it walks out of there and to me that's a good example of like when to be aggressive of of knowing how to kind of make that shot happen in the last moment. So, um, and then just a random tip that I, that I thought about, like, what, what did I do? What do I do now that I didn't do years ago to, you know, to be more successful and really I hunt dark to dark. I wake up in the dark, I get ready. Um, and then I just don't take breaks. I, the middle afternoon, this, this dawned on me. I think it was, it wasn't this year, but it was the year prior. I was like, I don't think I've taken a nap on a hunt in like a couple years. Uh, and I was like, that just doesn't sound right. Cause that used to be, that was the routine, man. We'd get up, we'd, we'd hunt the morning. Uh, and you know, early on it was, we always came back to camp, you know, by 11 AM stayed at camp from 11 to two or three. And then went back out for an evening hunt. Um, since I started backpacking, obviously you don't have that, but there was a lot of years where there was a very much a routine for an afternoon nap. But, um, I really, I, I think better than 50% of the animals I've killed over the last five years have been middle of the day. Um, and that, so that really just, you know, a lot of that, you got to get good sleep at night and then you got to be physically fit to be able to hunt and be on your feet and move all day long. Um, but if you can, you're really opening up your you know, window of opportunity to, to kill something, right? Like the, uh, <laughs> I was just on a fishing trip to Alaska and the, the deckhand uh, guy's name was Noel. And he said, hook sets are free, right? Like if you think you're getting a bite, yank on that freaking hook. Uh, cause if you don't, you're never going to catch that fish. Um, and, uh, same applies to this honey. Like if you're out there, um, you might as well, even if you want to take an afternoon break, put yourself into a position 
where you could hear a bugle or you could, uh, you fall asleep for 15 minutes, but you're on a glassing point. So you wake up and you can throw your binos up real quick. So just be aware that, you know, to, to extend, to increase your opportunity, you need to maximize the hunting hours during the day and, and be, be out there hunting and, and ready for, you know, ready for things to happen any moment. Steve, that was a very thorough and thoroughly disappointing answer. Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of like time investment intentionality i was hoping you're like oh if you just do this one thing and buy this thing for 39 dollars, you'd be an, a great hunter but yeah <laughs> i mean that, that goes tree. back to uh well oh, when we get to the geared question towards the end that'll be uh, that relates right well that's a wrap on this one guys once again this was part three so go back and listen to the first two episodes if you haven't already or hit that subscribe or follow button so that you receive future episodes automatically In the next episode, number 298, part four of the series, we're talking about the mistakes that made these hunters better. Hope you tune back in for that episode. As always, if you have any questions for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com.